It was Monday morning, October 5, 1981. I had labored all night, and that morning God gave us our first child. This sweet little baby girl, 7 pounds, 7 ounces, 21 inches long, blonde hair a little bit, and blue eyes, and were we ever excited. I was a mother. I was so happy. In my arms, I held our first child. I can't tell you all of it went through my mind that day and the days that soon to follow, but I know many mothers here who know what I'm speaking of. That was the day that motherhood became a reality when I could hold my baby outside of my womb. And I decided I was going to be an at-home mother. So I began my duties when I returned home from the hospital. See, I had worked the Friday before. I was a career woman. Now I am a mother in the home. Isn't God good? He couldn't have given us a better place, could he? That's what I'm going to be speaking about today. Keepers at home. I'd like to tell you a little bit about my life, what happened then. I had a lot of desire to train my little babe in arms for the Lord. I was excited that God had given us a healthy, strong baby girl. And I wanted to raise her for the Lord. And then I came into the reality of day after day, the same things were happening, and week after week, and month after month. And yes, friends, year after year, not that they're newborns in our arms, but there is responsibilities that we do not out, outgrow with our children in the home. Now I have three children. Every one of them is just as special as the first one. Everyone. There was Emily in my arms on June 14, 1983. She was an afternoon baby. And then there was Josiah, June 17, 1986, an early morning boy. And everyone was a tremendous joy to me to bring home, to begin to nurture them and help them to love them. And as they have continued to grow, I have seen that my mothering responsibilities went from diapering and feeding and burping and helping them to learn their beginning motor skills to now teaching them how to understand the English language and to teach them their phonics rules and their math and their, and their reading courses and the Bible and many other things. But you know what I found? I found that God had a work to do in my heart because there's a lot more to mothering than just teaching our children those things, friends. I'd like us to consider the verse found in the book of Titus. Paul is telling Titus, a young minister of the gospel, this is Paul's injunction to him. It's God's injunction to us, friends. And it's found in the second chapter, and it begins like this. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Isn't that an interesting way to begin your um, discussion with a, a new preacher? Or for us as we read it, listen 
mothers and dads, listen, men and women, listen, children, these things found in this chapter are the very things that are sound doctrine. They are solid We stand on these things. They won't crumble. This is a very important part of the gospel of Christianity. This is sound doctrine. And I'm going to read parts to you from verses 4 and 5 about two aspects of womanhood, actually motherhood, that Paul is telling us. The age women likewise that they be in behaviors becometh unto holiness, not false accusers, but teachers of good things. What are the older women to be doing? To be teachers of good things, right? That they may teach the younger women, that's many of you here, that's me, that we that they may teach the younger women to be sober and love their husbands and to love their children. Why do you think God would tell us that we need to listen very carefully, that we need to love our children? Didn't I love my baby in arms? Oh, yes, I did. But there's a love that goes beyond a mother's love, a natural human love. It's a divine love that only God can put in our hearts, friends. We have a natural human mother's love. God implanted that in our hearts. But there is a love of Christ that is deeper and greater in its, in its in intensity to love our children for their salvation. That is what God is telling us here through this verse. That we as women, as mothers, need to love our children. Continuing in verse 4. And... In, in verse 5, that we should be keepers at home. But I was a keeper at home, wasn't I? I stopped my full-time employment. I was only working every other weekend. And actually, I began to find that I was working a lot more than that. But that's what I was scheduled to do when my husband could be home with my children. But you know, somehow we've fallen into this idea that our children, when they're very young, don't have a lot of needs, and that's the most important time in their development. And the Lord just put it in my heart to say, you know, mothers, when your babies are young in arms and they sleep a lot during those first few months, that's the time that we should be using in our homes to study how to be a better mother in the home. God saw that. I mean, here's here's our little ones sleeping as babes, and they're sleeping most of the day, aren't they? That's our opportunity, mothers, if that's our first child, to use those hours, our time in the home during the day, to be studying how to be a mother. Because that little child, who is so sweet and innocent, is going to grow up very quickly. And their minds are going to develop very quickly. And they need mothers who have divine love to guide their feet throughout all aspects of the day. God wants us to be keepers at home. But you know, things began to slip in. And friends, we have missed it. We live in a super society where everything is automated. Everything is advanced. Everything is philosophical. Everything is theoretical. And it affects us in Christianity. It's rush, rush, rush here. I'm busy, busy, busy there, and pretty soon our lives are focused on me and not on my children. 
I started taking children in the home to babysit them because I was a mother at home and I thought, well, I have nothing, you know, there's not a lot to do here, so I'll start taking in my other friends' children. And I became a daycare center. And I did not have the time to rightly instruct my little ones as they grew up, as I understand now that God has shown me that I've got to go back and gain that time when I could have been using it for my children. Is that selfish? Oh, no, friends. It is not selfish to focus and give our lives in divine love for our children in the home, to be keepers at home and let that be our priority in life, that our children will be raised with principles like Jesus lived by. We have been on Satan's programs, friends. We have neglected and we have set aside and we have actually refused to be keepers at home. Because we think soul winning is important, is it? It is very important and it starts right within our own homes. It is our first duty. I'd like to read to you a couple of passages found in the book Adventist Home, page 245 and 246. I'm so thankful that the Lord slowed me down enough in my busy life, even though I was an at-home mother, to begin to see what He wanted me to do in the home with my children. If you, this is speaking to mothers particularly, if you ignore your duty as a wife and a mother and hold out your hands for the Lord to put another class of work in them, have we ever asked for other jobs to do, other types of work? I have. I've asked for a lot of things. But I needed, I didn't understand what this is saying. And I'm thankful that God didn't give me everything I asked for. If we ask for God to give us another type of work, we can be sure He will not, God will not contradict Himself. He will point us to the duties that we have in our homes already. God is not going to set aside the first work of motherhood in the home for any other work that is His work, no matter how grand it is. He will not contradict His principles, His laws of order in the things He has established. If you have the idea that some work is greater and holier, and I want you to know that many people make mothers today feel like they are just ignorant, they're illiterate, and they're foolish for staying in the home. If we accept that philosophy, and it's not just a worldly philosophy, friends, it comes in different ways and subtle ways from our Christian society. And it comes from ways right within our, our beloved church. We need to understand what God has given us to do. If we have the idea that some other work is greater and holier than this that has been entrusted to you, you are under a deception. This is strong language, friends. And I thank God it is. Because sometimes my mind is so preoccupied and so conditioned to think and believe and act on what I have been feeding it for so many years, I need strong language to break through. Amen. I'm thankful God loves us enough. 
by faithfulness in your own homes, mothers, working for the souls who are the nearest to you, you may be gaining a fitness to work for Christ in a wider field. This, mothers, is our preparation. God wants to train us in our own homes on how to bring our children, whether they're two or twelve or eight or eighteen, if we haven't done that work, how to bring them to the Lord Jesus. That's our first work. That's our soul winning work. It's our preparation. But be sure that those women, those mothers who neglect their duty in the home circle are not prepared, are not prepared for others' souls. God loves our children. Do you remember the day that Jesus was sitting and, and, and talking to the multitude and the Spirit of Christ, in the Spirit of God, impressed those, those poor, simple mothers to come to Him with their children, that they could be blessed. And the mothers became started coming to Christ with their little ones, pulling on their skirts or tagging along, and some of the bigger ones maybe swinging some branches behind and the babes wrapped in their arms. And by faith they were coming because the Spirit was calling to them. What happened when they got to Christ? The leaders turned them away, not Christ the leader, but the the leadership, as we understand it of that day, the disciples, the very closest disciples of Christ, turned those mothers away. And Jesus said, you're missing the foundation of the gospel, of, of the kingdom of God is right here in these children. It's right here in our own homes, mothers. The kingdom of God is starting here with our own children. And he said, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. It is we as their parents, it is we as the church that are forbidding our children to come to know Christ because we are so busy doing everything else that we have not the time to truly love our children and to be keepers in the home. The second quote I'd like to share with you in Adventist Home, page 246, begins like this. The Lord has not called you to neglect your home and your husband and your children. Oh, but I thought God opened this opportunity for me. Ah, not if it causes neglect of our husbands and our children. He, God, never works in this way and He never will. That is an absolute. Never will God work in the way where mothers have to abandon their children to push them off, to put them in daycare centers, to let somebody else watch over them, to do a greater work for the Lord. Never is that God's plan. Never for a moment suppose that God has given you a work that will necessitate the separation from your precious little flock. Oh, friends, that we could begin to understand how much our children need us in the home. And we need to be studying as parents and particularly as mothers that this is the greatest work that was ever given to man, ever given to human on this work outside of the work of Christ our Savior Himself. This is the greatest work, friends. God, it's God's work.
And we need His wisdom to love our children and to be the mothers that are keepers at home. Keepers at home means more than keeping a clean house and having everything in order. And that is very important and it's very much a part of that. But keepers at home mean that we are beginning to work for the salvation of our children. That means that we have to begin to spend time in God's Word and listen to the straight testimony that He has written to us. It is the work of character development and it is the most important work that God has ever given. I remember just a couple of years ago My husband was overseas for one month. Now I have dedicated my life when my first child was born, the best I understood, to be a mother in the home. And the Lord began several years after that to retrain my thinking more clearly as to the commitment that made. And do you know when when we were looking to move to the country setting and my husband was in the uh, profession of radiography, actually running in, in the head of a school of radiography, there weren't very many schools of radiography in the country. In fact, I knew of none. And everywhere we wrote for information, everywhere we looked, they said, well, I'm not sure what your husband can do, but you know you're a nurse and nurses can find jobs anywhere. You know what humanity wants to do? Believe it. Because it's true. But it's not God's way, friends. And as the closer we got to making that final sever, uh, to sever our, our, our back, you know, our other lifestyle, the Lord continued to work in my heart because when we first started, I said, well, honey, maybe I could work, you know, just a little bit until you could find something. And my husband, I'm so thankful for his strength. He said, we're not moving to the country for you to work at all. Amen. It's a lack of faith. God will have work for our husbands to do. God will have work for our husbands to do if, and that's the condition, if they are willing to work. But it means that we have to be willing to do the role God has given us as mothers in the home. And I'm thankful for more than 10 years, my life has been dedicated to my home. And God is teaching me what it means to love my children with His love. That means I don't ignore their disobedience. I don't excuse their behavior. The Lord is working in my heart. Two years ago, my husband was gone for one month. I found myself for one month being a single parent. Many of you are single parents, so I know there are some here. That's not an easy position to be in. I found myself as the mother of the home, as the uh, father or the priest of the home. I found myself running my husband's real estate business and answering all the ministry needs. Do you think I needed a power outside of myself? Because, friends, I knew that I needed God more than than any other time in my life. And I was committed to take time with Him day by day, as was my habit. But I had more responsibilities to do, and there were more pressures. And do you think I was tempted to cut short my time in the morning so I could do my husband's things and do my things? Oh, there was always that temptation. 
But I knew that I needed Christ with me, and I knew I needed His strength in the morning to be all of those things effectively in my home. And I remember he was gone a couple of weeks, and one morning, about a quarter to six in the morning, the telephone rang, and we have the answering machine on. And I didn't have the volume turned down, so when the call came in, I could hear who was on the other end. And it was a very dear friend of mine. And she was calling for some ideas and some suggestions about some things I had shared with her on mothering. Does that sound like an important call? But it's a quarter to six in the morning. And my children are sitting, my two daughters are at the kitchen table, and I'm at the kitchen table. I'm studying, Lord, I need you today. I need you today. And my daughter Allison looked at me, Mother, Mother, Mary's on the phone. Get the phone. And you know what I wanted to do in my natural personality? Run for the phone. I'd already struggled with the first temptation when I heard who it was, and I resisted because I listened to the Lord speak to me. Now's not the time to answer that phone call. And then when my child prompts me because she knows this individual and she wants me to help her, did the woman need help? Oh, yes, she did. The Lord just told me to answer my daughter like this. Allison? I need this time with the Lord. If I don't have it, I won't have anything to share with Mary on the phone. And I won't be the mother to you today that God is calling me to be. And I set aside that phone call. It was a a death of myself, but I knew what God was calling me to do, friends. To be a keeper in my own home and to love my children enough. That's what God is calling us to do. And I want to tell you how it begins. When the Spirit brings conviction to your heart, as He has to my heart, and we see that we have not understood God's calling to us as mothers particularly, or as fathers, but and as parents, when we have not understood that, the very first thing we need to do is to go before our Father and... and confess our mistakes and our sins and our neglects. And then we're told that we are to go to our children and ask them to forgive us for not being the mother that we should be, that God is calling us to be in the home. And asking our children to join with us. Now what do I mean by going to our children and confessing to them our faults and, in, and asking them to, to enlist with us and to be um, a part of our reformation in the home. Things like this, untruthfulness that happen in the home. Well, my child doesn't lie, but has your child ever said to you, I just can't do that? That is an untruth. That is a lie because we're told with God all things are possible. Matthew 19, 26. When my child is sitting at the math lesson and they've got a page of long um, addition problems, you know, rows to add together, and they look at that page and they see all those numbers and the mind says, I can't. They can with Christ. And as mothers, we are to 
not allow our children to believe that lie, the lie of Satan that defeats us in the power of God, but we are to take hold of the power of God and say, you can do that, child. You can do that. And working with our children or our child for that to be accomplished. Friends, I'm talking about a death of self to the mother here. It's too easy to let our children say, I can't, and we know it's hard for them. We know it's going to challenge them. But we also know in challenging them, it's going to challenge us to stay with them, to help them gain the victory in Christ. But God has helped me to see that that is my work, friends. Not to believe the lie of the devil that it cannot be done. You can, son. You can, daughter. All things are possible. So we pray. And I start them off with just a couple of problems. And I give them a reasonable amount of time in seconds on my watch or perhaps a minute. And I said, you can do it. Just do the first one. I've done that just this week. And my child thought they couldn't accomplish the math problem. And I said, just do it in one minute. Oh, mother, that sounds so hard. I know you can with Christ. And he will help you. And we prayed and asked God. And so my child began. And they wrote the entire problem out on the paper. And they summed up the total... And they had done it in 45 seconds. Praise God. That's what my child needed to see. That's where we begin, friends. If we have allowed our children to say, I can't, it's too hard. We have not loved our children with a a godly love. God wants us to help our children to overcome those weaknesses. And as we sit with our children, not for the first time in the math lesson where there's, where there's the flesh there in the child that's saying, I can't, and that we begin first with our children in that time where we come together to confess and repent of our, of our mistakes and our errors and our sins in parenting those children and our children. And we begin at that point to say, today we're going to have a new program and we're going to enlist them in making those changes and we're going to talk about them just as I'm talking about with them with you today and we're going to discuss them so practically with them they have no questions like that of untruthfulness. See, son, you or daughter, you have been untruthful because you're telling me you cannot. That is a lie because we know with God all things are possible. We're going to address the area of deception. Are your children deceptive? Are these hard adjectives describing your and my children? These are areas that all children struggle with because they're the weaknesses of humanity, and you and I as adults have the same thing. Our children become deceptive. How? Several ways. You ask them to clean their room. You go in and you look at it. When you pop your head in the door, the room is in order, apparently. And the child says, I've done everything you want me to do. But a mother who is 
working with the principles of God in the power of God and if this is if the child has had difficulty in the past in keeping the room neat and orderly we'll go beyond the looking in the door they may want God may impress me as he has done more than one occasion to look under the bed oh there was that book they were in a hurry to take care of and it was faster to slide it under the bed than to put it back in the bookshelf was it really but the child's mind thinks so because they have learned to believe the lies of the devil. And God's calling for us as parents, as mothers, as keepers in our home with His love to work with these little areas of deception in our children because they're not being honest and bring them to an accountability and work with them. And as soon as that happens, as we're talking about it, help them to see that they are lying and deceiving. Sometimes our children don't even know they're doing that. When they say, oh, I was just kidding, Mother. Do you know recently, on this campus, just this week, I was talking to a young child. I'm not going to tell you how old they were or what gender they were. But as I was talking with that child, the child said to me, I know how to tie my shoe. And I said, oh, that's good. And they were spending a lot of time chatting with me. And I said, uh, and then pretty soon the child said to me, but don't you tell so-and-so I know how to tie my shoe. And I said, well, why wouldn't you want so-and-so to know? And they said, because they don't know I know how to do it. And they'll do it for me. Is that deception? Now the parent is not there with that child. That child and I are sitting on our patio, just the two of us. That child came to visit with me. I was happy. And I looked at that child and the Lord said, Be a keeper at home and love this child as if this child were your own. And I looked at that little child and I said, you are not being truthful if you know how to tie your shoe and you're not telling so-and-so. And then the child said to me, I was just kidding. I really don't know how to tie my shoe. When I looked at the laces, I could tell that either it was a very bright child to t tie the laces that way or that they were kidding and made the story up just for conversation. Our children can't be just making up stories for conversation, friends. And when the child then said to me, I'm kidding, the Lord said, take the child deeper. Kidding? Were you telling an untruth? Yes, I was. Because kidding is what? And the child looked at me and they said, lying. And their whole countenance changed because the little child didn't understand that when they say they were kidding, they're lying. God wants us as mothers to help our children to know how to call sin by its right name and not take on excuses or society's terms to excuse sin in the individual life. That child was so free. And then I looked at the child and I said, Do you think Jesus would ever kid about tying his shoes? And they said, No. I don't even know who's who the mother or the father is of that child. But God was working in me to work with this child, to help redeem them to be a true keeper at home as a mother. Another way our children deceive us 
Have you ever gone up to a child and spoken to the child? It's not your child, it's somebody else's child. And they and you say, Hi, how are you today? And they put their head down and they hide behind mother's skirt or they get behind daddy's leg. And then the parent says, What? What does the parent say? They may say, some parents will say, Tell her hi. And will the child do it? Mm mm. Very rarely. And other parents will say, But oh, he's just so shy. Now, a true shy child is something to be thankful for. A truly shy child shows respect in all areas to any person that when that child is with the mother and with the father and someone speaks to them, they will answer respectfully in clear tones. But they will not be boisterous and running around and they will not be screaming and hollering and running through the meetings and they will not be the, the loud, boisterous children that we have in our homes that we excuse as being shy when we talk to them. Shy children, as we understand it today in America, are children who we as parents are indulging them in the flesh to let their selfish natures rule to control when they will and will not speak. God wants to open our eyes, parents. This is the role of mother in the home. We've had to work with our children so they wouldn't get any of our excuses for their behavior about being shy. And I say that every child that I have met that is very resistive and very shy, as the world terms shyness or bashfulness, in almost every case, I'm not going to give it an absolute, but in almost every case, those are the most boisterous, loud, controlling maybe I should say, out-of-control children that you will meet. And they have learned to hide behind a shy excuse. God wants us to address the area of foolishness with our children, parents. The Bible says in Proverbs 24, verse 9, that even the thought of foolishness is sin. You read it for yourself. That's the wise men writing those words. And he lived a life of foolishness, didn't he, for a period of time. He understood what that meant. And many parents have come to me and say, I don't understand what you mean is foolishness. And you know, for many times I tried to begin to tell them what is foolishness, like making up stories, that's foolishness because it's untruthful. Uh, behavior that is that is inappropriate. But the Lord put it in my heart just to begin to ask this question. And I have done it in my own home because I don't want foolishness, which is naturally bound in the heart of the child, the Scriptures tell us. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. What's the rest of the verse? But the rod of correction. Firm correction. Firm meeting this sin in our children's life, which comes naturally to them, and it's naturally in us as their parents will drive it far from them. How did I begin to identify foolishness in my home? Because I didn't read through the Bible and said, every time your child says it this way or says that or does this, this is foolishness. But God gives us a simple equation or formula to figure that out. 
I've just asked myself this question. Would Christ as a boy speak those words? If not, then I have to, then I have to call that foolishness, foolish speaking. Would Jesus as a child act like that? And when we bring our children to us in this discussion where we have prayed with them and we're trying to help them see that God is calling us to reformation in our homes, in this area, when we talk about foolishness, you know what you'll find out when you give your children that definition of foolishness? They're going to say, oh, you mean when I said that... And then they will go on to say what they said. Or when I did such and such. And they understand what foolishness is. And we are the ones, parents, that have been blind to it. How about the selfishness that our children have? You know, so often I, we, we view selfishness as Mary wants the ball and Sam has the ball and Mary won't give the ball to Sam and now you're being selfish. And that is a part of selfishness. But have you ever helped your children or your child to understand that when they are resisting to surrender their hearts, when you are calling for their hearts, that they are being selfish? They're being selfish. And it affects the entire family. Testimonies, Volume 3, page 564. This statement is the cry of our youth and children of today. Our youth want mothers. Who want mothers? Our youth. That doesn't mean the two and three year old. It means the children who are... 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, but also the one, twos, and threes. Our children and youth want mothers who will teach them from their cradles to control their passions, to deny their appetite, and to overcome all selfishness. Our children are hungering for us parents to help them to control themselves. They are absolutely miserable when self is ruling in them. When they're being deceitful, when they're being slothful, when they're being untruthful, selfish, or foolish, they are miserable. And God wants us as their mothers to work with them, for them. And it will take His wisdom and His divine energy to help us to see it for what it is and to begin to address it, friends. I have at times in my life when, as I am studying and see the call that God is giving to me as a mother to be a keeper in my home, I can feel overwhelmed. Does God want us to feel overwhelmed? No. But He certainly wants us to see our need, doesn't He? And He has to speak very straight to my mind to help me see how much I need Him and my children need Him. And then the promise in Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen: Behold, I am the Lord. I am the Lord, He says, the God of all flesh, the God of your flesh, Elaine, the God of your son's flesh and your daughter's flesh and your other's daughter's flesh. I am the God of all flesh. That means He's got the power over it, doesn't He? I am the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Oh, isn't that a comfort? That is such a comfort to know that there is nothing too hard for God. He is the God of my flesh and all He's asking is but one thing. 
Am I willing to yield myself to do His will? Sounds simple, doesn't it? That is the only thing He's asking me to do every time my flesh comes into conflict with my child's flesh. He's first asking me to yield myself to Him. And friends, we can, we can get down on our knees with our children and we can ask them to forgive us and we can pray to be forgiven. And we can encourage them to take up the work of changing our home. Why? So we can be happier. Our homes are so much happier when we follow God's way. And we can enlist our children to join with us. And in almost every case, even teenagers are hungering for this in their homes. And on a rare occasion, you will find an older youth or perhaps a younger child who's been so long left in rebellion that they're going to dig in their heels and they're going to say, I don't want to be a part of this new program. But they're only testing us, friends. They're only testing us. Because in their heart, they want to be set free from them, from the passions that rule them, from their angry, selfish spirit, from the lack of control they have. And we can work with our children in those two areas. But where we fail is that we will not implement. It's it's a death of self to admit that you have made many mistakes. I know from my own experience. And when we begin to review or to look carefully at and to practicalize the needs of our own home and to identify the character weaknesses in our home, that cuts self too. But those are only two pieces of the solution. And the third piece, and it's just as important, is we must begin today to implement it. To implement it today. And that's why many fail. Mothers call me and they say, What do I do when my child does such and such? And friends, that's what our society wants. We really are looking for a quick fix so that when my child does this, it's two spankings. And when they do that, it's five extra sentences written. And when they do this, they're 15 minutes off their playtime. And so that's what we tend to look at for our children. And the reason we really look there is because we haven't been on our knees asking for God to give us His love for our children. The kind of love that He infuses into us that will give us His divine energy to go through the entire day with three children working with this weakness and that weakness and this situation in that situation and have the peace of God and the power of God attending in those situations, friends. There are no quick fixes. I have found that I must pray earnestly for myself and my children. Earnestly. I can't tell you in the last two or three years how many times I wake up in the middle of the night praying for my children. And how much more sensitive I become in the day to pray for my children. And I know my children need more of my earnest prayers. Praying for their weaknesses. Then, the second thing I need to do that we don't like to do, oh, we do it for a little while, but it requires a surrender of my flesh, and that is to diligently study God's Word for direction on how to overcome the weaknesses in our home. 
diligently steady. The things that I have been sharing with you through the week have not come to me because I've known them all my life, although I have known them. I've known them as theory and truth and doctrine and as principles, but I have not known them for application, and that's what we've been sharing with you here this week. I have been spending my time in God's Word to have Him teach me. He promises, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way that thou shalt go, and I will guide thee with my eye. So when I go to the book of Titus and I read that God wants me as a mother to be a keeper in my home, He tells me what that means to be a keeper in my home, the things I've been sharing with you. To study diligently. And the third thing is to take action. Each step brings us a little closer to surrendering our own will and way, friends. Take action to instruct my child throughout the day. Do you know why I find what I find when I have to spend my day in doing a lot of correcting? I find it's because I haven't been giving my children time in the other avenues of parenting, of teaching and instructing and training that I need to be giving them. And my entire focus, although we must not ever neglect to deal with the even the littlest bent of evil, the slightest deviation, we have to address that. But when we spend our day in correction, 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 we can know we have not been giving our children enough of us in positive encouragement. I call it redemptive discipline. There are five elements. First, it is to teach them what is right, just like I did with that little girl that was sitting there that told me she could tie her shoe when she couldn't and then said she was kidding me. I had to teach her what was right. And then I had to train her. That means I couldn't just quote her a Bible verse, but I had to train her mind in that situation to make it very practical for her. And teaching and training our children includes the physical aspect of training. I can tell my son, you need to wash the dishes today, and I'm going to tell you how to do it. That's teaching. Training means I'm there beside my son. Day by day for those first few days, helping him learn how to wash the front and the back side of the plate and how to look at the plate when he's done and how to wash the silver and how to stack everything and rinse them and put them in the strainer in a neat and orderly way. That's the training process. And we need to do that too. And then there's the encouraging the good. You know our children really want to do what's right? They long to do what's right. It's in their hearts. They were created with the desire. They were created. We were created in the beginning to know good, to want to do good, and to always do good. We chose to know evil. And we have both forces battling in that little child's heart all day long, but they want to do what's right, and they want us to help them. So when I see my child has conquered that math problem in 45 seconds, great! Wonderful. The next one, see if you can do it in 45 seconds or less. Ready, set, and away he goes, or away she goes with that math problem. We found out that some of those problems were done in 25 seconds with the child who said, I can't do it. We need to encourage the good. Smile in your home, mothers. Be happy in your homes. Encourage the good. 
Restrain the evil, correct the evil, every bent of evil. But don't let that become the only parenting you do in your home. Or your children will rebel against you. Our children long to do what's right, but they need encouragement. And that encouragement comes from us. And then we must guide them through the day. I call it this way. We must call often to their hearts to train them, to yield themselves. And the younger they are, the more often we need to call to them. And if your child is 8 or 10 or 12 years old and they aren't used to responding without a fussy attitude, then we need to go back and begin that training program that we should have done in those earlier years and call often to their hearts all through the day. And even as our children become self-governed in the home, that means they will naturally go to their desk and do their schoolwork and they will naturally get up from the table and do their chores and they will... That self-government, and they're happy that way. God is guiding them. They still need our time to call to their hearts. They still need us, friends. Call often to your children's hearts. Don't give them long periods of time to indulge in their selfish natures, in doing whatever self feels like. And that's one of the greatest curses in child-rearing today in America, is we are raising children from ages 0 to 5 or 6, just to play all day long. And then, when it's time for school, no wonder we have children who get labels like what? Dis- uh, I heard so many answers. Uh, disability disorder, you know, slow learning, can't comprehend, attention deficit and many other labels. Because we've indulged them and let them do what they felt like doing, and so now when life is called into a little bit of discipline, they don't want anything to do with it because they haven't learned how. I can tell you it's been the happiest years of my life. Far happier than when I began mothering, even though it was my first child in my arms, to be willing to see the call that God has given to me to be a keeper in my home, to surrender my wants and my way for my children's sake. It is the happiest that I have ever been. And our home, it continues to get happier and happier and happier. And not just that our children want to stay there, but other children and other people want to come there too. I'd like to share a few other mothers' testimonies with you. One of my friends who has four young children says it like this, I wouldn't trade it for anything, Elaine. I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. We need to tell ourselves and and share those things, friends. Another mother, I've never been happier in my life. That's the way I said it. And then you know what she told me? She said, just recently, my two boys, who she had in her past life indulged and petted and never had them do much in the house and always believed when they said they couldn't that they couldn't and all those things, when she began to apply these principles and become a keeper in her home, She says, in just a couple of years, my boys have now come to me and said, Mother, we have never been happier. 
Her boys love to do things for her. They love to work with father. I remember the first time I was in their home and she asked them to put the dishes away and that mother had a battle on her hand. And now they love to be with mother. They love to help mother. They said, Mother, we've never been happier. Don't stop. Have those boys had some disciplines? Oh, yes. But they love the results. A single parent who works outside of her home. Friends, we must begin where we are. If we are a single parent or wherever, we're told whatever situation we find ourselves in, that's where we need to be content, working where we are. This mother has to work outside of her home. She has her children under somebody else's care, and she's been very selective who cares for her children. But when she comes home to her children, she... God is giving her the energy to double her effectiveness in the home with her children. Her commitment, she says, I'm committed to them. We need committed mothers. We may not be able to be in the home with our children all day long, but we can be keepers in our home right where we are and begin with these principles right now. These are the words of another mother. It is This mother is a teacher who has taught almost the entire life of her children until recently. It is a great privilege and responsibility that I wouldn't give to anyone else. I remember talking to this mother three years ago. That was not her testimony. But as God began to work in her heart to put self aside, to yield, all, she was, all, we, all I was encouraging her to do was to yield to do God's will. And then God would show her step by step what, that, what His will was. Now, this is what she says. I love what I am doing. Listen to how strong her language is. I love what I am doing. And I know that it is my calling. Three years ago, her calling was to be a teacher. They needed her. Those children in school needed a godly teacher. Her children needed her as a godly teacher in the home. It is the highest calling to train our children for His kingdom. God is calling to us parents, us mothers, to be keepers in the home. Adventist Home, page 238. None of us need expect that when the last great trial comes upon us, that's what we're looking for very soon, isn't it? That a self-sacrificing, that's what we've been talking about here this afternoon, to be keepers at home. A self-sacrificing, patriotic spirit, patriotic here meaning patriotic for the Lord's way of doing things, will be developed in a moment because it's needed. Do you hear those words? Don't think that because we're right on the brink of a crisis that we as mothers who have not been keepers in our home, who have not asked for the divine love to fill us and to flow through us to our children to help them gain the victory over their natural flesh. Don't think that when that crisis comes, we're just going to be naturally self-sacrificing and have a patriotic spirit to get in there and do the work. No, indeed. This, this spirit must be blended with our daily experience every day and infused into the minds and hearts of our children. By whom? 
By the mother. It must be our mother's, our daily experience. And then from us infused into the minds of our children. Both by precept and example. The greatest blessing we can be to our children in the home is to let them know without a question of a doubt that we would rather be there than anywhere else in this world. That's what will help them. Remember our beginning text found in the second book of Titus, I mean the second chapter of Titus, that we are to learn to love our children and be keepers at home? Listen to these words in Timothy chapter 4. Because I know as the Spirit works on your heart here as He has worked on mine more than in many times and even here today. As the Spirit begins to work and we see the calling that God has given us, the devil's right there to try to snatch it away and make it sound like we're being fanatical. Listen to what Timothy has here in the fourth chapter, the third verse. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Remember we talked about this is sound doctrine, mothers, to be keepers in your home. That is sound doctrine. That is what God says, not me. The time will come when we will not or they will not want sound doctrine. But after their own loss, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itchy ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Many of you will be tempted to walk away from being a keeper in your home because there are needs outside your home that people want to tell you are more important, that they are more pressing, and that you must not be selfish. You must be a Christian. You must abandon your children. And they'll never tell you that. But you must leave and do this other work. It's far greater. But God says there is no greater work. Don't believe the fables, the lies that the devil has. Great Controversy 595 tells us what these two verses mean. That time has fully come. It is here today. The multitudes do not want Bible truth. Have we been talking about Bible truth? Oh, yes. The multitudes do not want Bible truth. Because it interferes with the desires of their sinful hearts. Friends, if we don't want to take hold of these principles that we have been sharing, that this message that I have shared with you today, we are taking hold of another doctrine that is not the doctrine of Christ, it is a fable. And we're told very clearly it's because we really aren't willing to yield ourselves in its enti- in entirety to Christ's role for us as mothers in the home. In closing, I've asked my husband to share a song with you that oftentimes in meetings he begins the meeting with, but I think as you listen to the words, you will be touched with the call what God is asking for us, particularly as mothers, for our children. And I pray that as you listen to the words and as the Spirit is speaking to you in your hearts, that you will open up your heart to listen to sound doctrine, to know that it is for but one purpose, the salvation of our children and the salvation of others. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, 
a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.